This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. So if you do not know, I am Casey Sullivan, owner of Curating Confidence, and we do a monthly conversation and Q&A here, a collaboration with Zach Knight and ATL Vets for Advancing the Line, helping veteran-owned small businesses as a small business owner, and just really trying to collaborate with the community, veteran or non-veteran, bringing people together and sharing stories, sharing wisdom, sharing knowledge in lots of different fields. I own a business called Curating Confidence. So just as said, I focus on all things self-confidence with a flair of fashion behind it. I just want to say thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate everybody that does their part and getting us these opportunities to do stuff like this. So big shout out to Nate with Social Pro Video. He is the guy behind all the magic on camera and, of course, the sound. And then, of course, Kimber, our lovely lady that's serving us and keeping us happy. Make sure to take care of her, please. And thank you. Shout out to Six Bridges Brewery for allowing us to use this space to do this. We are very humbled by the generosity with everybody. I have this fabulous guest I'm going to introduce in a moment. But with my background in fashion coming from the film industry, in fashion, doing costume, wardrobe design, and styling, personal styling, individual, all that. And his background, also in film, we had a very quick and very unique connection. And when we get together, it becomes a little like, when are they going to stop talking? So I promise I kept notes for myself so I'd stay on track tonight, just for your sake. But I wanted to have this conversation tonight because as I mentioned, although I do fashion, I want everything in your life to build confidence for you and not to exclude that in fashion. Fashion is one of those things that often creates a vortex of dislike, of questioning yourself, of wondering if you are enough or if you're too much of something. And I want to make sure that people feel empowered to embrace themselves utilizing this amazing tool of fashion and connect deeply with fashion is the film industry. And so I wanted to have this conversation about the crossroads of fashion, film, and culture, and how they shape our world around us and how they shape our self-image. So without further ado, Frederick Taylor, Emmy award-winning filmmaker. I will let him give his own little introduction because I will never do it justice. But what I do want to say of that is... When you think of somebody in film, you don't often think of somebody with heart and soul. And this guy, and I'll let him dive into as much as he wants to share on the background of how he got where he is. But his whole film journey is about sharing stories of humanity and bringing us together. Social justice. Or whatever you want to call it. But the idea of saying we can be diverse and we can not understand things, but we can care and we can love and we can show up as humans. So I'm going to let you take it away. I would love for you to tell them as much or as little, because I don't feel like it's my story to divulge too much, to share what your background is, how you got to where you are today. Frederick Taylor, guys. Well, this is great. It's a lot of fun as well. I'm happy to be here. So unlike everybody else, I grew up with parents and living in a neighborhood and going to high school and college and all of the other fun stuff as well. Uh, the thing that I did was I tried to live my life as a journey. And the thing that I did was I accepted the fact that I was going to make mistakes and make a lot of mistakes. And I just constantly tried to roll with it. And that's how I found my way into being a filmmaker. I didn't grow up thinking, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. Oh, I want to be part of social justice and things like that. I just slowly evolved into a level of awareness that I had a sense of duty to other people. So I was always the weird kid that would protect the other kids 
in the schoolyard from getting beaten up by the bully and stuff like that. So I just always had this sense of equity and fair play as, as well. And I was fortunate enough to be around a lot of people that were empowered and from both genders as, as well, which was extraordinarily important. And it's one of the things that I'm going to stress as we continue on talking this evening as, as well. I, I think it's really important for us to do away with these constructs of these are boys, these are girls, and these are two separate worlds. We live in a world now where everything's about from the neck up. And we need to come to terms with that and realize that. And I've been fortunate enough to travel around the world and see many different countries and many different cultures. And I will say this, every culture in the world that is ascending, women are given an equal part and an equal role and an equal say in society. Every culture that is disseminating and having conflict and issues and problems, they are oppressing women. That's a particular soapbox that I'm willing to get on and I will fight you in the parking lot on as well because I think it's extraordinarily important. So my background started in art, music, dance, painting, drawing, things like that. And then I went to college. I wanted to be a journalist. And then that turned into being a documentary filmmaker because I started to feel very strongly about a lot of issues involving people. And that momentum I took into graduate school and I realized very quickly in life that if I wanted to do what I wanted to do, I was going to have to work for myself and I was going to have to figure this out. So that's the path that I went down and I started as a company. It started in my dorm room, then it moved over into my apartment and then it moved over into a one room office and it turned into a two room office and then a three room office. And now I have a big office and it's in Buckhead. And I sit on the board of governors at the Buckhead Club. And even that was an accident. I stumbled into that. Somebody thought it'd be a good idea if I go hang out at the Buckhead Club and then I'm hanging out at the Buckhead Club. And then someone thought it'd be a good idea that I sit on the board of governors is as well. And the best part about it is I get to be my authentic self. And I can't stress that enough. And then when you're your, your authentic self, when you have problems, you have issues, you fall down, you fall on your face, you make mistakes or whatever, you have your scrapes, that's okay. You're not in this game to try to be perfect. You're in this game to try to be you. And that's probably the biggest thing that I want to be able to talk about and stress in, in, within the construct of curating confidence and things like that. I think sometimes we, we mistake that for being that I've got to be perfect. I want to be like those great self-help gurus that are out there and they look perfect. Everything's working out for them. I want to be like that. No, that's not real. What's real is the life that you're living and it's your ability to react to issues and react to conflict and to react to these trials and tribulations that we all have and we all make mistakes, but we have the ability to always at any particular time, pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and continue on with our journey as well. So coming from that, and I lied, I'm going to divulge a little bit that he didn't divulge there and hope he doesn't kill me later. Now, so coming from the South side of Chicago and working in Hollywood and now owning your own film company, Tomorrow Pictures, by the way, guys, I forgot to announce that earlier, here in Atlanta and having the success that you've seen in the film world and in other areas of life, as a person, as a filmmaker, sharing real stories of real people coming from the background that you've had and, and even from like Hollywood and the music background and that industry being a very different world, how did that shape your self-image and keep you grounded into what you're doing now? Well, initially it crippled it because I grew up in the hip hop era and you saw people that were extraordinarily successful. For those of you that remember the 90s. So one of the things you remember about the, the, the 1990s was that a lot of people made a lot of money and they did a lot of stuff. And there were a lot of super, super famous people. And I think you could say late 80s, 90s, early 2000s, where it was just sort of ridiculous. And that was the standard. You had to be uber important, uber rich, uber powerful, uber pretty, and uber everything. And if you fell short of that, you were nobody. And that was one of the things that I had to really work out for myself. 
I remember I was doing a uh, video for Russell Simmons. He had a TV show called One World Music Beat. And I was his cameraman for the Southeast. One of the things that I discovered about being in that particular world where, you know, I would be doing things like I'd interview, you know, she would be interviewing, I'd be shooting, and it would be Elton John or these other famous people and things like that, where I had to come to terms with where I was in my life and what I was doing, and that still had value. And then I can't spend a lot of time chasing that. So we did this interview with Chris Tucker once. I mean, we, we shot Puff Daddy. We did it all. And so there was this one interview with Chris Tucker, and Chris Tucker just became fixated with me because he noticed that I was doing everything, but I wasn't saying too much. I was actually doing my job, which if anyone has ever worked in the hip-hop industry is weird. No one does their job. Everyone is posing and everyone is just flossing, I think is the term that they use. Stunting. Exactly. And so I was actually working and he thought that was the weirdest thing in the world. He was just like, oh my God, you know, what's wrong with you, man? Like, you know, it was like really weird. And he came over to me and he, of course he yelled it because he yells everything. He never speaks quietly. It's really awkward. Um, And he says, Ed, why are you on the low, low all the time? You're always on the low, low. I don't understand. And I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, he's so right. I'm on the low. I'm like operating below the frequency of what everybody else is doing. How am I going to make it in this business if I am not glossing and, and stunting? And how do you do that? I have no idea. I just know how to work hard and do the best job I possibly can. And that's when I realized that the industry that I was in at that particular time, doing the best job that you possibly can, doesn't mean anything to anybody. I was in the wrong industry. <laughs> so I needed to shift and I needed to, to pivot. And it was important that I did that. And then I didn't spend all this time chasing the dragon in that universe. Even though I worked with everybody, it was around everybody. It was like TLC, Arrested Development, it was like Tony Braxton, Usher, all these people. And I just floated through, but it wasn't what I wanted. And I had to come to terms with who I was versus what was going on around me. Fast forward now, I've stayed myself. Now, a lot of these people circle back around and they want me to help them. Does anyone know who David Banner is? Okay, so David Banner comes to me and he says, I want to be an actor and I need you to help me. I need you to coach me on how to be an actor. I have an opportunity to be in this film. The, the butler, he plays the husband of Mariah Carey in The Butler, but he knows nothing about acting. So I have to teach him how to do his scene, essentially. I, it was such an interesting dynamic that here he is and he's super famous. But for him to go to the next level, I'm teaching him how to be authentic. I'm teaching him how to be himself. He had become so submerged in his sort of hip-hop alter ego that he, had no, he did not know how to harness his true self in order to play a character. And the character he was playing was a husband whose wife has been abused or assaulted. And he has to react to it, but he's powerless to do anything about it. This was a, a, a level of emotion and feelings that he's never explored or thought about in his entire life, let alone read about or anything. And it was really fascinating to have to coach somebody through that type of dynamic. It's happened many times for me now where people have that are famous have circled back and they call me and they want to talk to me about how to do something. Brian Barber, who is the guy that directed the Hey Ya video for Outcast. During the pandemic, there's Brian, he's sitting in my office in the chair across from me at my desk. And anyone that's coming to my office has knows sitting in that chair what it's like to have to talk to me across that desk. And he's trying to figure out his career because his career has taken a very strange turn and he's trying to figure out how to make his career better. And so 
the point of these stories is it's just, I know in the beginning, in the short term, it seems like being yourself sucks, but being yourself in the long run, you'll win and you win every single time. It's like being working with a fitness person like my friend Taylor here. And, and Taylor can really speak to this. It's like when they first start out and you're like, okay, I need you to give me 10 reps and they can do three. And you're pushing them to say, no, you've got to keep going. Like you, you, okay, you can do three today. Next week, maybe you'll do five. The week after that, maybe you get seven. A month from now, two months from now, maybe you get to 10. You've, you've got to see, you've got to do something that prepares yourself for your future self in the bigger picture. And you have to believe and, and, and that's the, really the key element in being success and to me and to curating confidence is believing in yourself that whatever you are in that moment, you, your boyfriend, you just broken up or your best friends just stabbed you in the back or you just failed a test in school or whatever you are in that low moment that you still believe in yourself, that you believe that inherently there's something inside of you that says, I belong. I deserve to be here. I was born and therefore I live. Therefore, I can continue to move forward and succeed. And that's the thing that makes all of the difference in the world. It's some of the things that we've talked about as well, living and dying in Los Angeles. And if you go to Los Angeles, you will live and you will die. There is no question about it. But you have to maintain this strong sense of self or you will be carved up. I lived in the same neighborhood as Brittany Murphy. And I remember the day that they carried her in a body bag out of her house. And there was someone that was like super successful, but without that lack. And I don't know how many of you know that the story, but she had a, she didn't have a lot of belief in self and it didn't matter. All of the money in the world and all of the success in the world did not bring her the happiness that she desired. And that happiness is always there in the beginning. It's like, you're always Dorothy with the red Ruby slippers on the whole time. And you have to remember that. And people forget that. And we live in a society of massive amounts of distractions that keep you from doing anything but focusing on yourself. So that's why, you know, when you go down these rabbit holes of your phone and streaming and talking to the wrong people, you're not paying attention to yourself, focus on yourself. And again, you know, I'm just using Taylor because she works with people in the fitness world. It's like, you've got to focus, stay here, stay in the moment, do the reps. That will get you through. It may not feel like it's going to do anything for you now, but it will, you guarantee, it will do something for you later. The same way that you build your physical self, you can build your mental and emotional and spiritual self uh, as well. That's my long answer. So as you can see, he is a wealth of information and he just answered like nine of my questions in one. So you're a rock star. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But what I, I want to circle back around on is that confidence piece, is that self-image piece. Because it is so vital that you develop it from a place of authenticity, that you aren't pulling your confidence, that you aren't pulling your self-image from an external variable, that you are grounding it in your belief and your values, and then whatever happens in your external, because externals aren't promised, they change, they shift, they develop, and you can't guarantee them. So if your confidence and your self-image is built on only the external, which are culture tends to uh, precipitate as it's pouring down rain, we need to stay focused on how to truly develop that self-confidence on the internal, on the pieces of your beliefs in yourself and the beliefs of your core values and leaning in on that because in the end, that's all you have left. So taking it back to cultural influence in film and fashion, I kind of want to talk about this is our realm, me fashion, him film, and kind of the blur of the lines, right? But understanding that in film and in fashion, there's a lot of pull and there's a lot of inspiration from outside culture. And there's a lot of influence within those crafts, within the art from outside culture. And yet, it is also film, fashion are highly impactful in how our culture views itself and how we view ourselves. So I would love to hear kind of your impression on how you can take something like fashion and film and develop self-image and how you can navigate that in a more positive way versus going down what we just talked about, 
losing yourself in the moment. Thank you, Eminem, for that. I just wanted to sneak in the Eminem reference in this. Fashion is everything. Fashion is where it starts. Fashion is the one of the first things that you interact with that you say, oh my God, there's a bigger, larger world out there because there you are, you're a little kid and you're going through a magazine. That might be your mom's magazine. I remember I used to plow through my mom and my grandmom's magazines all the time because they had a lot of women's magazines and stuff like that and social magazines, you know, what was going on in society. My grandmother was really into Hollywood stuff and my mother was really into... Uh, women and people that were on the move and moving forward. And it was all the clothes. And that was one of the first things that I really started to notice. And then once you start to notice the clothes, you start to notice the colors, you start to notice the context, and you start to notice how people are wearing their hair and what they're looking like. And this kind of determines and starts to set your sort of normative standard for this is what I want to be like. And then it starts when you go to school and you might not like what you're wearing, but then you'll see somebody else at school that's wearing something that you really like. And then you're like, oh, I want that. And then you go to the mall and you buy it. Or you see something in a music video. For those of you that remember music videos, that was another standard where you would see things that you would want. I actually, and I'm embarrassed, I bought a thriller jacket and I still have it somewhere. It's hanging in a closet. I saw it in a music video and I was like, I want to have that. And I had to have that. And I went out and I saved my money and then I bought it. Exactly. You see these things that you start to identify with as you build your identity. Whether that's you really like the punk scene and you start dressing punk or whatever, you have to build an identity. And then from building that identity... Then you start down this pathway of who I am and what is my art. That's why when you go and you hang out at an art school, all the kids have an identity. They all have something that they have latched onto as far as fashion is concerned to express who they are that creates the path for them to be able to be who they eventually want to become. As, as well. And so those things are, are super fascinating. So, so that's kind of a, a, a connection point. So fashion and identity. Fashion has transformed over the millennia. You think about big eras, the flappers. We talked about this kind of a little bit yesterday, and I think it's a great conversation. The flappers, the poodle skirts, the um, hippie era, like the, all these things. There is so much influence of fashion in our culture, in our lives. How do you feel like fashion shapes our identities about our image, about our bodies, about the world around us? And, and how can you control some of that? Maybe? I think Kanye controls it too much. Obviously, that's a good example of it going over the top. But yeah, it's the, I mean, you, you can't move forward without some sort of identity about what you look like. And even if you are famous now, people write about you and they say they saw you on a runway or a carpet or whatever, and you didn't look good, people are going to say something. And of course, famous people, when they're standing there, they say, what are you wearing this evening? And it's like, well, this is Oscar de la Renta. But that's the world we live in. That is how our identities are, are built. That is locked into our culture. And there's nothing we can do about it. And if you have to go to any particular important event, you better look good because you're not going to get away with looking busted, as the kids like to say. Fashion is important and it's from decade to decade to decade. And it does create a certain um, identity and what it, it, it puts you in a position to feel empowered in order for you to move on and become your best self as, as, as well. And like, what do you do with that identity that you create from the way that you present and that's the key ingredient here, present. We all get up every day, we look in the mirror and we decide this is how I want to present. And presentation can become politicized as well. If you don't present in the way that society has developed these normative, so-called normative standards for how you to present, do you have the courage to continue to push through that? as well. And certain people do. RuPaul is a really good example of that as, as well. And that's to be admired. He gets up every day and he decides for himself, this is how I want to present. And he does it. 
and he builds the attitude behind it. That's where the fierceness comes from or the undeniability who no one's going to tell me no. And I think that's extraordinarily important as, as well. And at times that's something that's missing from a lot of people. They crumble. They don't know how to necessarily stand up for themselves. And it starts with your fashion and how you want to present. Billie Eilish is another really good example of that too. Elliot Page is a tremendous example of that. Elliot made a huge decision in his life to present differently and to move and change altogether. And Elliot is much happier versus being the person that everybody else wanted Elliot to be as well. And so these sort of normative standards are something that come into your choices with, with fashion and self-confidence too. Because fashion is my space, you know, I'm adding something. What I want to really hone in on the point here is that fashion is a very powerful tool. But fashion is a commodity. It's what you buy. Style is what you do with it. And everybody should understand that the style they present with is the message they are putting out to the world. And you get to choose and you get to be in control of that message. But so often people are unintentional. They haven't been taught to think about it or they don't know how to present. And therefore their message gets to be out of their control. And what we can never do is we can never choose how people perceive us. But if we establish our message in self-confidence that we have already, I have already stated that I believe comes from grounding yourself in your belief systems, in your values, in who you are on the internal versus the external, then it becomes such a powerful tool of projection versus a mask or an armor you're wearing out in the day. And that is how I think clothing becomes such a piece of powerful presentation. And people will judge you on it. We are an image-based culture. It's not even something that we're doing to be petty or unkind. Usually it's subconscious. But coming from a professional world, talking to, I have a lot of clients in the engineering space. If they don't present a certain way subconsciously, they're not going to get the bosses that they, the promotions they want. You come to work sloppy, unironed clothes. Your boss is subconsciously going to say they don't pay attention to details. Therefore, do I trust their calculations? And, and it's a scientifically proven thing. I know it sounds crazy, but it goes way beyond vanity and materialism. Presentation is important. So back to Steve Jobs. I'm sorry. I got on a soapbox. Don't. But that was, that was his choice for presentation because he said, I have too many other decisions to make in my life. And I know that I will present professionally in this shirt, in these pants every day, and I don't have to make a decision about it. I, I think he paid for that because he didn't have a really great relationship with his daughter. And he also didn't really have a great relationship with his illness as, as well. There were things that he could have done to um, prolong his life or, or circumvent his demise as, as well. Um, instead of going with a certain level of conventional medicine, he went a very um, streamlined, holistic route as well. And I do think at the end of his life, one of his regrets was that he did not build a better relationship with his daughter. And I do think his clothes reflected who he was. He was just all about business, all about focusing on this one end goal constantly over and over and over again. And it's going to be interesting to see how history looks at him moving forward. That is going to be the only image of him is him in that black turtleneck for all eternity. And so that's going to be an interesting play moving forward in how people perceive him as this sort of um, singular bandwidth guy that people don't, it's like Napoleon with the hat or him with his hand in his vest or something like that. You're just burned into the minds of people for all eternity that way too. Because Steve Jobs is someone that is going to affect humanity for hundreds of years to come long after he's gone as well. And it's going to be his black turtleneck is his logo essentially 
um, as, as well. So a sort of eclectic or a sort of varied sense of style too, where you have different looks that does help your sort of portfolio as how people perceive you as, as well. Like think about Madonna. We have different incarnations of Madonna in different eras of her pop culture career as, as well. She's not remembered for one particular look. She's remembered for many different looks as, as well. To your point, like there's always going to be two camps to everything or multiple camps. The goal is to open the idea of how you can utilize things in your everyday life in a different manner and how, you know, take what serves you, leave what doesn't. Talking back on film, because this is your space, I would love for you to share examples of characters that have had a significant impact in our society and our culture and how it has shaped how we feel about either society as a whole or your self-image things, positive, negative, just how film has impacted the way we see ourselves in culture. I think there's a dividing line. I, I, I think it comes down to one film in the, the, the era that we live in versus all things before, and that's the movie Clueless. Clueless is, it's literally the beginning of this whole other universe of youth culture, fashion, sense of self, female empowerment, technology, where those characters in that film, you cared what they were wearing. And those characters in that film, as those characters, cared what they were wearing. And that was something that became extraordinarily significant with people and very identifiable. And I think that's an example of an era in what we consider to be the modern era. There is before Clueless and there is after Clueless. And that's how we think about the universe. When you talk to a lot of people who have been born or grown up and know the latter half of the 90s and the 2000s, they don't care about anything that happened before Clueless. They have no interest at all. It's kind of funny. But then from that point, you can go back in time again, and there are these other dividing lines. Easy Rider is another one. And it's the fashion, it's the look, it's the feel um, as well. And then you can go back again and you can go back to Rebel Without a Cause. And there it is again. These moments in time come up all the time and they generally move from decade to decade as well. Where they define the times and they define how people look all the way back to the 20s and the flappers and all this other stuff. And then once media moved, it was beyond just paintings and stills and it, suddenly it came to life. People looked on screen, they saw things, and they're like, I want to be that. That's how I want to, that's how I want to be. Whether it was like a giant zoot suit and a big hat or whatever, that's what people wanted to do. And that's what people wanted to, to be. And that does define how people um, perceive themselves as well. I think since Clueless, things haven't necessarily hit something that we can say, wow, here's another defining moment in our culture where fashion takes over, tells story, and defines who we are. So it's fascinating, but fashion's always there. Which, to your point, it never goes away. It always exists in entertainment, and it does leap into these other industries as well, and including politics too. Like People care what people look like. People trashed and dragged Hillary Clinton when she would, was running for political office about what she was wearing, what her hair looked like, and things like that as well. And I thought that was out of bounds for a, a political person. But at the end of the day, that's the game we play. You, if you're going to run for president, you should probably look good. So I think the interesting thing in this conversation is you can clearly see the intersectionality of these things and how they influence each other. And yes, to your point, we were talking a lot about the entertainment industry because the entertainment industry is so modeled through, it bleeds into the everyday culture. And so a lot of things that are going on and like our 
children's lives are coming from these industries and they're molding from that. And I think the point for me is to understand how can you utilize these things to serve you? Maybe it will never be that, but to also understand the reality is image is so powerful. We cannot get away from that. You guys are consuming 10,000 images a day or more, and there are there are triggers in your brain. It's it, how it works, and it's how... Let me give you an example. Maybe we'll... Um, uniforms. Uniforms are a powerful example, and I say this because they elicit emotions from people. So you think about... I was a kid growing up in the 90s, and I lived in rural Texas, and I didn't get packages. Amazon wasn't a thing yet. Getting packages at the house was super, super rare. And so anytime I saw the UPS truck going down my rural road, I was like sitting in front of the window hoping, turn in my driveway, turn in my driveway, turn in my driveway. Like it was so exciting. And so now anytime I see somebody in a UPS uniform, I'm like, so exciting. It's like, it's a package all over again. But they elicit emotions. Same thing for people that might have had an experience one way or another with a cop. They're going to have an emotion that is elicited from that person in that uniform. So what my point is, if you are not wearing a uniform, you're still eliciting emotions from people. And are you in control of it? The entertainment industry, because it bleeds into our society, it what reaches everybody regardless of who you are. And it shapes how we think, feel about ourselves and our culture. So I just want to, we are at time. I love this engaging conversation. I am going to ask you for one quick success story in film that you feel created a positive, helped you with positive image. The Benetton ads that were in the early 1990s. Yeah, exactly. Before that particular time in advertising, and I'm just going to just cut through the bone here. Advertising was very compartmentalized. We did not see people of all different sizes, shapes, colors, backgrounds presenting together. And Benetton was the first time that we ever really saw that. And that was one of the most powerful ads that I had ever seen in my life where I, I saw different people of different backgrounds wearing clothes from a, the same brand at the same time in a picture. And then fast forward to now, we actually see advertising with women of all shape, sizes, and colors as well. And that is extraordinarily significant because that is a proper representation of who we are as a society. We are a a society of diverse people from all different backgrounds from all over the world. And advertising has lagged behind in that for generations. And finally, we've gotten to the point where it's pretty normal now. We don't think too much about it. It seems like it's a regular thing that happens all the time. And those are the types of things that using fashion, once again, empowers people. Because maybe a girl that is a little bit more of a plus size sees some sort of representation of herself and she says, hey, I belong. Or we have one kid's Indian, one kid's Persian, one kid's white, one kid's black, one kid's Asian, and they're all hanging out together and they're wearing cool clothes. And it says, hey, we can all hang out together too. That's very powerful as well. And so there's a lot of messages that can be brought to the discourse of our society that are very positive for everyone. That, that, that don't have to be preachy, don't have to be wordy, don't have to be over the top. And this is the power of fashion. And this is the thing that people forget. And I know that people drag fashion sometimes and they think it doesn't matter. It does. Because what it does is it brings people together. And it allows everyone on every level to participate. And it is the only thing that we do in this country that is creative and artistic. When you go to a fashion show, You can't have a problem with anybody. You can't walk into a fashion show and say, I don't like this person or that person, or I don't like the orientation of that person. I don't like that. Not going to work. Fashion is the only venue that we have that is sort of resilient and Teflon 
to these other types of agendas that orbit around us in society that say, no, you can't do that. In fashion, you can do anything and you can do everything and you can be exactly who you want and you can present any way that you want to be as well. And it is inclusive of everyone at all times. And I think that's one of the things that I find to be amazing. And the Benetton ad would be the one for me where I think it's one of the greatest points in the history of advertising and entertainment, where that image, when the first time I saw that, it was at a very influential time in my life. It changed my life. It made me feel like I belong and that I could continue on and be the best person that I am. Awesome. I love it. Does anybody, we have time for maybe one, maybe two other questions. Anybody have a question they'd like to ask or a statement they'd like to share? Knowledge is power. The young lady there that's sitting in the background that is still in school. Do you have any question at all being in this room full of adults? I know it's terrible. I get it. It's not. It's okay. You're good. Wow. That's impressive that, it, that, that, that you are truly a mature person. And in 10 years, can I have a job? Okay, good. Thank you. I will come work for you. Do you have any questions about this? Is there anything that you think about this? You go to school, you are around other kids, you guys judge each other for everything. What you look like and what you're wearing and the walk and the talk and who's cool and who's ugly and all of this other stuff. And you have to get up every day and decide what you're going to wear in order to get through your day. And to keep people from bothering you so you can just get through your day because you live in the hell of school and you can't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel that someday you're going to graduate, you're going to go to college, and you're going to go out in the real world, which is like 20 minutes away, but it doesn't seem like it. And then you have a whole nother life of 80 years after that. How do you handle all of that? We wear uniforms at my school, so there's not too much variation. But um, with different events, people will generally wear a similar type of thing, but with maybe colors no one has done before. And so you're matching everyone and not standing out, but you're standing out slightly. And that's usually what brings like compliments and stuff. So we have a rule at our school. When you're wearing a skirt, it has to be three inches or less above the knee. But all the girls like to be special and roll their skirt. So I'm one of the kids who don't roll their skirt. And so it does bring me attention. It does bring me attention. But people have gotten to know that as one of my identities, I'm just the kid who wears the long skirt. And people have come to accept that. No, I, I love that. And I think that's super empowering. So you hold on to that, my dear Emily. That is a gift that I haven't always had. Hello, beautiful people. So... I'm not sure if Aliyah was before Clueless or not, but I had to mention this because I'm a Korean woman and I have my Korean version of Aliyah, who in the 90s did not have a door knocker earring, Tommy Hilfiger boxers, and baggy pants that are sweeping the streets of NYC. I'm from New York, right? We all had that. So this is going to lead to my question. Now that's coming back, the oversized fleece, the oversized jeans, the Jenko, they're all coming back. And this is me trying to be my cool aunt with my niece who's um, just turned 12 years old. And she's complaining to me. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe at school we can't wear spaghetti straps. That's like, you know, it has to be thicker than two fingers. I was like, like literally like this. She goes, yeah, the straps have to be thicker. And I don't like wearing those because she likes to dress baggy because that's what the cool kids wear. So the question for you, Fred, is as adults, when we want to connect with our children, because right now, social media does what it does, and it does deliver a lot of positive impact. At the same time, it makes it a little more difficult at times to connect. Like we go out and have family outings, and the kids are on the phone. And I try to use fashion to connect with my niece. I'll whip out that picture of me with the Aliyah fashion. I'm like, that was auntie. Do you, I was just like, oh my God, that's you. I'm like, yeah, I used to be cool too. So how would you say... And how can we use fashion and film and all these things to start a dialogue where the kids don't feel like the aunt or the mom and dad is not cool anymore? Like, I'll show pictures of my brother in Jenko jeans and my niece is like, that was that. I'm like, yeah, that was daddy. 
That's a really interesting question. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the evolution of fashion. It's your level of fashion knowledge. You want to be able to sit down with the kids in your life that you are influencing, that you are raising in the village that you live in, and show them that fashion's been a big deal for a hundred years. And that this is something that evolves and is an evolution. And they're only a part of the evolutionary chain. As much as they think they are the bomb, that is temporary. And it's a really good life learning lesson about everything in life. Everything in life is temporary. It, it is literally here today, gone tomorrow. They can't believe that what they're doing now will become old. I once had parachute pants and could break dance. And I thought that was the end of the world. Nothing else was going to happen. That was it. But that's not true. The world keeps moving forward. So it's a really great opportunity. And this is what I do because I have my little nieces and nephews and things like that too. And so I really try to focus into those spaces of this is really great now but it's going to continue to move forward. Enjoy it as much as you can. Get as much as you can out of it. And for my friend here as well, enjoy your life. Enjoy your youth. Be proud of who you are. Stand tall because these are some of the most important moments in your life that are going to formulate who you will become as an adult. Now, I told the story about that thriller jacket. I wore the crap out of that thriller jacket, too. And I didn't care what anybody said. I was embarrassing my parents and everybody else. And I didn't care. I wore it everywhere I went. And you know what it did? It made me the person I am today, that I'm proud of who I am. And I think that's what's really important. And those are the things that you emphasize with these kids. You lean into it. That's what they want to do. But also with fashion, you have the discussion about here are the sort of parameters for different venues that you operate in, like at school or in other places. So if you're not allowed to wear the spaghetti strap, you can't wear the spaghetti strap here. And you have to understand that because there are many things that we cannot do in certain venues. Like if the speed limit's 65, go 65. And so it's important to teach people parameters and limits as well. And with fashion, and especially with youth, it's a tremendous opportunity to do that as well. So I try to look at it as teaching moments. And I have, I have nieces and stuff like that. And, and they start looking like ladies by the time they're 13. And you're just like, oh my God. And, like, and you, you have to coach them into a space for growth and to also protect themselves too. I mean, these things are very important and they're very complicated. So you just have to take time with them. You get out of your world and you get into their world. And I, and I think sometimes as adults, we become so consumed with ourselves that we forget about the other people around us that we need to take more time with. And Many of us as adults always look back on our lives as kids and we're always thinking, I wish somebody had taken more time with me. I wish somebody had talked to me. So here's the opportunity for us to do that. And that's how I look at it as well. But that's a terrific question too. And I commend you on that, that you take an interest in them. And that will mean something to them when they grow up and they'll come back to you as they're pushing your wheelchair around. And They'll say, I really appreciated you saying something to, to me. And those were some of the things that I related to the people that influenced me when I was growing up as a kid as well. And, they, and the ones that never told me to take off the thriller jacket. Like I've got aunties that are very old now and they laugh. They're just like, you just walked around with that thriller jacket on all the time. You just thought you were somebody, didn't you? And, and we wanted to say something, but we didn't because it just made you so happy. It made you happy. And we don't have enough happiness in life in general anyway. So what little bit we can get, give it to them. Wear the thriller jacket. Yeah, no, I, I, it is teaching moments. Real quick, there is a movie called Begin Again. It's Keira Knightley and Brandon Ruffalo. But there is a scene in there. It's a young teenage girl. And she is struggling to fit in at school. And she thinks that wearing a certain type of clothing is going to help her fit in. 
And there is a teaching moment where this mentor, she's not the mom, she's not technically an aunt, she's a mentor in the space, takes her shopping and shows how to utilize fashion to fit today's culture, but it doesn't have to be provocative to to fit her age. And I think it, it really does boil down to the teaching moments and how can you meet people where they're at, regardless of age. And understanding that what you mentioned, like teaching moments of this is the appropriate time to wear this and this is not. It's something I call image IQ, which I'm going to make the blanket statement that our culture really struggles with right now. But it's understanding that you can be authentic and show up as yourself. But there's a way to do that appropriately at work. There's a way to do that appropriate at school, in your off time, in brunch with your friends or whatever the occasion might be. But to be able to stay grounded in yourself and your confidence in your image enough to just be yourself, but do it appropriately in the setting. And I think that's a very valuable lesson you can teach as well. So on that note, because you guys have been wonderful, attentive, I appreciate all the amazing questions. Tell everybody how they can find you, connect, all the things. If you guys have not yet, please scan this and it'll just give you once a month email notifications of when these things are happening, the conversation that's coming up. We would love you have to be a part of it. Thank you guys all so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for for coming. I'm going to pass you out things that are me. Um, This is a film that I'm currently circulating. It's called Where is America the Beautiful? And that person that you see on this particular flyer is that person sitting right there. Yes. This is another film. um, And this has all the information about where you can find me. As well, uh, this is another film that is circulating. It's uh, playing in Europe. That film is playing in America. This is called Pre-Existing Freedom. Again, it is all about the world that we live in. And then this is a general flyer that just has me on it as well, being silly as well. So I'm going to leave these things around. And everything is, it's Frederick. It's F-R-3-D-E-R, the number one C. Hey, that will get you everything. You Google that, you'll get everything that is me. I am the number one FR3DER1CK on Google as well. You can, yeah, you can track me if you wish. So that sort of matrix-like code will get you everything about me as well. And I'm always open to answer questions about anything. If you're ever in Atlanta or downtown, our company is at the corner of 25th and Peachtree. You're always welcome to come by and say hello as as well. And can we have a hand for KC, please? I, I think it's important. Uh, I think it's important that people help other people to build self-confidence in themselves. And she is committed to this as a business, which I find to be extraordinary as, as well. And I don't want that to drift into the background with this as, as well. And I think it's really important that we all do something to help each other. And re- please remember that deeds is the only currency. Thank you very much and have a great evening. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.